You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. I don't like cheese, by the way. Welcome back to the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, where myself, Ollie Wilson, Ian Gale, Ian Gale, Ewan Gale, Ian, Gale. Ian Parks, Whoa, and Sam Hall. What, what a, a start, start to the year! Look, well, I am still recovering from the the Christmas experience of work and play all at once. Uh, we're all still a bit hazy with too much cheese in our bodies. Those are the sort of mistakes that you want to get rid of and out of the way before we get into the 2023 Formula One season. We haven't even got to pre-season testing, so we can make all the errors that we want, uh, including perhaps Ferrari and bringing in Fred Vasseur. But we'll come on to that and everything that we want to talk about uh, on this podcast. Gentlemen, uh, apologies for the uh, fallibility of getting your names uh, all completely mixed up. Ian Parks, how was the Christmas festivities? No Aston Villa Christmas jumper this year appeared, so... I let the team down there, didn't I? And I don't like cheese, by the way, so that's probably going to be the clip at the start that Sam's <laughs> going to pinch to let as the intro, isn't he? So, yeah, not a big fan of cheese, but uh, big fan of Formula One, of course. That's why we're here. Yay, we're back. Yes. It's the headline. The podcast is here, folks. It's the headline for the podcast. Ian Parks, not a fan of cheese. I don't cheese. like cheese, exactly. <laughs> Sorted. There we go. Sam, you're going to be okay. You're surviving and getting through this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all good. Um, ignore the voice. It's, it's. I'm not a sob story. It's just the voice. <laughs> <laughs> and Ewan, world of grog scale, uh, joining us as well. Ewan, man, how were the uh, Christmas festivities? And have you been keeping abreast, obviously, of everything that's been going on in the off season already? Yeah, it feels like there isn't really an off season. You know what F1's like? It's sort of just this constant turning wheel, isn't it? But Sam, nice of him to turn up as a Ferrari engine. So. <laughs> Hey, apparently, according to Gunter Steiner, those engines are the bomb. So if Sam can live up to those sort of expectations for this podcast, then we're, we're going to be fine for this one and going into the 2023 season. The news in Formula One never stops, even if we think we're about to. Ollie Wilson joined by Ewan Gale, Sam Hall and Ian Parks. And we recorded something yesterday, which will be going up on the YouTube channel a little later on. And you'll listen to on the audio version of the podcast after this. But we were having all of this discussion about the preview to 2023. There were a couple of bits that we definitely wanted to get into and maybe ran out of time, maybe forgot about, who knows. And then at the end of our podcast, this email comes through into the GP Fans News inbox that says that there is an announcement coming with Andretti Racing and GM Motors. And we're all discussing about it and I'm putting my hands up saying, really, guys, look, we're getting ready for 2023. The actual F1 teams are getting ready for preseason testing in the next month or so. And diligently, Sam Hall says, I will sit by my computer and I will wait for this announcement to come in and see what is going to happen with Andretti Racing. And 
Sam, it's a good job you did, because actually the news seemed fairly important when it comes to Formula One. What exactly took place yesterday regarding one of the biggest names in American motorsport? Well, yeah, it was actually, given technical mess-ups, Ian was actually the one that was in there for us. But it, <laughs> it was a wonderful technical nightmare where me and Ewan couldn't get in and then Ian could. And, but yes, Andretti has partnered with General Motors and specifically Cadillac to support its bid to join the Formula One grid. There's no time frame that's been put on this. Sort of, we know that they want to join 2024, but realistically, given that they're only building their headquarters now, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be more 2026, if we're honest. And Now, with this, well, Formula One then put out a statement, or the FIA, saying we have other bids, other expressions of interest that are sort of maybe a bit quieter. So while we may be getting excited here going Andretti and General Motors, they're going to be on the F1 grid, it's not a done deal. It would take a lot for it not to happen, but it's not a done deal. Now, Ian, this relates to something that we were meant to talk about in the podcast when we were recording yesterday about President Mohammed Ben Salim of the FIA triggering a expression of interest process. And this is Andretti almost ramping up that expression of interest into overload, so to speak, partnering with GM and Cadillac. Yeah, you have to wonder about the timing of the two announcements that have come this week, because obviously we had Mohammed at the start of this week putting out this tweet and the FIA putting out its message saying, yeah, expressions of interest, please. We want to expand the grid. And then all of a sudden now, a couple of days later, we've got Andretti joining forces with GM, which is just boom. This is this is exactly what they have been wanting, because the bottom line with Andretti is They've been wanting to get in now to F1 for about a year, probably even a bit longer. They tried to buy out Sauber. It never happened. That fell through at the last minute. And they've been saying, look, we want a place. We want a place. F1, in its own way, has been saying, well, we're not quite sure about you guys. Are you big enough to join us? Um, Which is, you know, seems we've got bonkers, prize by the way. Pot. Yeah. Is Andretti big enough? It does. It does. This is Andretti. Mm. This is one of the biggest names in motorsport, for heaven's sake. But the F1 teams, they're so protective of what they've got. And they're so protective at this particular point in time because the sport has been going like that. The revenue pie has gotten bigger that they're sharing out between the 10 of them. And they don't want a dilution of that. An 11th team comes in. That means the pie is that little bit smaller for each team. So there's been a little bit of greed going on over these past few months with what these teams are doing. Now, I don't think any one of those 10 teams currently in Formula 1 can have any complaints about Andretti joining forces with what is, at the end of the day, the world's biggest car manufacturer. Without a shadow of a doubt, this is a major, major coup for Formula 1. And if F1 and the FIA do not get this over the line with the 10 teams, it will be one of the biggest injustices we will have seen in Formula 1 for a very long time. Yeah, I totally agree, because if you think about all the fanfare that we had last year with Audi and Porsche coming in, oh, wow, it's the Volkswagen group, and as Ian rightly says, GM, it's almost the American version of that, but on a bigger scale because of how much they sell year on year. So massive opportunity and almost, if not, impossible to ignore now. 
You have a real opportunity with the brand Andretti as well, which is synonymous with so many other levels of popular US motorsport mm. to almost use that brand name now to capture even more of a fan base that maybe was hesitant about F1 and was more into the oval circuits of NASCAR, IndyCar, etc. Now you almost have that ability with the Andretti name to be able to grab it. But on the flip side, Ian, as you discussed just a second ago, Andretti's jumping on the bandwagon at the right time and you'd be annoyed in Formula One if you were an existing team and worried about sharing out that market share, particularly as Formula One is likely to expand with Andretti with this process that the FIA are bringing in, uh, thanks to Mohamed Ben Salayam of the expression of interest. There are going to be others that will want to get involved. And we've seen what happens when sports expand too quickly. It's not just the revenue that gets hindered. It's the on-track action that perhaps gets hindered as well. You don't want teams that are going to be joining up and just saddling around at the back of the grid. Oh, we've got a battle for 20th between Williams, Andretti and Ford Motorsport, for instance, or something like that. So you can understand why there's a hesitancy, Sam, of this potentially taking place at this moment. It seems like, oh, you're late to the party, but now you're still trying to get all the free food. Yeah, you're, you're stoking my fantasy of GM <laughs> sort of triggering Fords to join the uh, the grid as well. Let's get the, uh, the Is that Australian... a possibility? I wouldn't discount it. Um, there's been very, very vague rumours, um, but nothing concrete at all. Um, personally, I would love to see GM versus Ford in Formula 1, and I think that would only benefit Formula 1. Um it's anyone who watches Australian motorsport, GM versus Ford. There you go. There's your fight. You just want um, the surf and turf barbecue, don't you, every week? I, I do, let's be honest. But um, <laughs> no, it's um, uh, you can't turn this down, can you? It's one, it's one of, if not the biggest automotive brand in the world. Um, so yeah, it's it's got, got to happen. I, I'm not worried about Andretti being a back market team. I don't think they would be. And for Andretti as well, this is about so much more than just Formula One. Um, in the press conference yesterday, Michael Andretti, the team owner, was talking about building a facility in Europe and racing in other categories in Europe. Whether that would be with Cadillac or not remains to be seen. But you can imagine Andretti taking it very seriously and setting up a driver program with maybe an F2 pro team, an F3 team and sort of building through the ranks there to get an American driver through the ranks with the relevant super license points. So this is, for me, this is about as exciting as you could get this news. I, I don't know how you'd top this. Well, it gives us just something to talk, to talk about this winter, I suppose. And it's not just going to be about the changing in floors for 2023 and who can catch Max Verstappen, which is always great. great. Gentlemen, is there anything else that you want to add on this Andretti Cadillac merger? Or are we now just going to sit and wait for dates to be added? And of course, to hear what the American reaction is going to be to this as well. It'll, it'll be interesting for me to see how the partnership works, how involved Cadillac will be in it. Is it going to be like a Alfa Romeo Sauber type job where it's basically Sauber do 95 to 100% of it and Alfa Romeo is just a badge on the car? Or will it be Cadillac having personnel involved in the running of the racing team? That will be interesting to see because then 
that sort of determines where that team will go in the long term future, not just the short term as well. Yeah, you get the impression this is not just going to be a badge. No. Because if GM are involved and they're using the Cadillac brand, they want that brand to be at the at the front yeah. of the Formula One grid or near the front as it possibly can be. They're not going to want to be stuck at the back. So you can imagine there's going to be quite a crossover of personnel. You can imagine Andretti dipping into Ford, uh, Ford dipping into General Motors uh, personnel pool and there's going yeah. to be this influx of personnel um, just to ensure that it has that uh, platform on which it can build and deliver straight away, you can imagine they're going to be hoping for. They're not going to be wanted tootling around at the back. This is a serious project. Uh, the only thing we don't know yet, just to add one of the points, is the power unit that they're going to be using. Because while it is going to be billed as this all-American team, um, we know already that they're going to ask Colton Herter to be one of the drivers. Um, so you've got Andretti based in America, you've got GM, American-based, uh, biggest global manu car manufacturer in the world, and then you've got Colton Herter. So it's going to be all-American, with the exception of the power unit. They've already said that they have a power unit manufacturer on board. They didn't say current, because Honda, very loosely, as we know, involved with Red Bull at the moment. It is Red Bull powertrains, but it's still the Honda power unit that won them the titles over the past two years. But the, the, the way we're thinking is, the way we're looking at this, because of the links already, it's more than likely it's going to be a Honda power unit in that car, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. It's worth just pointing out as well, for anyone that doesn't know Cadillac's involvement in motorsport and just think they make these big, brash, luxury American cars, really successful in sports cars really mm. successful it four IMSA championships since 2017 four Daytona 24-hour wins in a row and they're just now going into that new era of endurance racing as well with an LMDH car um, and they'll be in the World Endurance Championship as well so th they mean business this isn't just a commercial thing but it, it's for, proper for, for Cadillac it, it current F1 really suits that old, big, bulky style of car because that's what we've got at the moment. We've got these big, bulky styles of cars that are very difficult to take through the corners, according to so many of the drivers under the new regulations. So maybe it's a match made in heaven in that way as well. Right, so that is everything that is taking place then in the world of Andretti Racing and Cadillac. Now let's dive into what we recorded yesterday when we started to look at everything else going ahead into the Formula One 2023 season. It's going to be an interesting 2023 season, judging by all the juggling that we've had already in the off-season. There's a host of new names coming into the sport. Obviously, a couple have had to uh, depart. There's been some new changes to the rules and regulations in what drivers can do before and around races. We've already lost our first Grand Prix of the 2023 season. So, gentlemen, I don't really know where we want to start with this one. Um, are we any close to finding a, a solution to the Chinese Grand Prix problem? And who's going to be taking over that, Ian? Where, where are we sitting on this to begin with? Because the schedule's already been taken out of whack. I've been writing up my new calendar. Well, yeah, because we all thought that Portugal was going to come in, or assumed. Uh, obviously, we all know now that the Chinese Grand Prix was cancelled start of December, uh, simply because of their COVID situation. And Formula One then engaged in various talks with different circuits. Um, we understand that uh, a contract was signed or a deal was struck, not contract was signed, a deal was struck at least with the Portimao circuit in the Algarve for that 
race to slot in middle of April and the Chinese Grand Prix. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, China decides to lift its COVID travel restrictions. Hey, you can come back in again, folks. Don't matter that our rates are climbing through the roof. Come back in. Come and get COVID. You're welcome here. And on the back of that, the Chinese Grand Prix promoters have said, we'd like our race back, please. Uh, from everything I understand, um, it appears that because of the situation, because they don't want to annoy the Chinese Grand Prix promoters by slotting in another race in that particular slot, because they haven't formally signed a contract with the Portuguese Grand Prix promoters, the likelihood is to ensure that no one uh, is uh, no one's nose is put out of joint that that slot will be left vacant. So basically, we can all look forward to a nice spring break around Easter and take off for a couple of weeks because there won't be a Grand Prix between Australia in early April and Azerbaijan at the end of April. Pretty much you'll have about the same period of time off as we do during the August break. So basically, next season is just so backloaded with Grand Prix. It's a ludicrous calendar when you look at it. To be, really honest, to be honest, it's just the next stage of F1 becoming more American. We've got more American races with Vegas coming on board. And now we've got a spring break as well. It, it's just <laughs> F1 goes America, isn't it? It's a bit ludicrous at this point as well, though, right? I mean, the Palava, we want to have as many races as possible, obviously in line with, with the Concord Agreement. But we, we do want to see a race potentially come in and fill that void left by China rather than having an extensive break. I guess it's kind of nice for the teams, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way, because they can see what's happening in the early part of the season. And then they have a long period of time to go back to the drawing board and see what mistakes perhaps they've made coming into this new year, particularly with the the tweaks to the regulation changes that we have now for 2023 when it comes to the floor of the of the cars to deal with the porpoising impact. But we do want to have a race rather than a big, long gap right at the start of the season, just when we've got into the rhythm of things as fans at this point. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, hey, look, racing's always good, isn't it? And we'll never turn it down. I do agree with that point that you made. I think the teams will welcome it, potentially, um, just to have that extra little break before, as Ian pointed out, a heavily backloaded end of the season. But it's a long time at the start of the year when the teams are trying to figure out what their cars are doing <coughs> to not be on the track and testing. I mean, you, you take it back to last year, for example, with the new regulations, new cars, how many teams were using those first few races when they weren't winning to try and use them as test sessions almost to discover how to overcome different problems. Well, that's a long gap to not be able to do any of that when you've got aerodynamic testing restrictions um, being staggered through the grid with a budget cap where you can't just go and blitz a load of your money off uh, in a break. So it'll be an interesting dynamic to see how that will work out for certain teams up and down the grid. But you're right. I think we want a race. I, I don't think any of us want to be sitting at home thinking when's the next race coming. Yeah, F1's due to have discussions very soon on this, folks, just to let you know. Obviously, just to, they've got to get it sorted. Um, Chinese people, from what I understand, were looking at a race at the back end of the season just to give F1 that bit longer to try and prepare and themselves, of course, uh, but there's no available slot. No one's willing to move. It's either going to be that mid-April date or nothing. And I think the consensus is likely to be coming out of F1 that at some point, probably later next week, that it will be nothing. And there will be this gap. You'll have three Grand Prix, 
Bahrain, Saudi, Australia, then you'll have a gap before we go to Azerbaijan. That's the way it's looking, but discussion, as I say, due to happen very soon, and we'll get a final answer, definitive answer, at some point, hopefully next week. This is a pretty ugly question to ask about this, finally, I guess, but is this a case of Formula One almost slightly being held to ransom because they want to still keep the Chinese market happy? You know, we've had we've got our first Chinese driver on the grid in Show Guan Yu, and there was a lot of expectation of the attention that he would bring, particularly particularly in that part of the world, back to Formula One again, where maybe maybe the luster in the last few years have been lost. So this is a way of trying to keep what is potentially a very important market for Formula One happy, while still trying to make sure, obviously, the safety regulations around things like COVID nineteen are being adhered to. I'm sure Formula One doesn't want to have a Grand Prix in a country where COVID rates are skyrocketing and spiraling and, and in the manner in which perhaps they've been dealt with by uh, by kind of the Chinese authorities. So it, it, does this still look slightly negative on Formula One if they just leave it empty and vacant rather than filling in with another race? Or am I, am I just being too negative on this point? I, th- I think there's... You could argue it either way. I I think China was slightly ambitious in saying we want our race back and... Essentially, that's what's caused these problems for Portugal because we're fairly certain if China hadn't said that, it would be the Portuguese Grand Prix that would be filling this gap. But you've got to appreciate the value of China and the Chinese market. Um, so I personally, I would like to see F1 go for the green option with this and do another event in Australia. There, there are other tracks over there that could have hosted a race and why would you, F1's all about we want a green calendar we want the least sort of the, the least damaging mm. calendar if you're over there making two race trip over in Australia would make more sense than just one trip because it's so far out of the way for anything so that that's just personally what I would like to see but no I having a four week break probably it's good for the teams I don't think you'll find anyone in the teams that will be complaining about this mm. but for fans after three races it's not not pretty is it i suppose as well if you're flying to australia and you've got a four-week break after what is perhaps one of the most kind of head spinning and and ian you'll know about this obviously going to australia for a grand prix and having to go somewhere else afterwards it's probably nice to have four weeks to get your jet lag kind of sorted out and know where you are and what time zone you're meant to be on as well so uh yeah i'm sure the teams and personnel will be very happy about that if you want to talk about a green formula one calendar sam can we just have all three American races, one after the other? Like the Amer- the great American convoy road trip of F1 teams just driving across from Miami uh, to uh, Austin and then to Vegas would look fantastic as a spectacle and would be a way to surely make that greener. Maybe they could even throw in some like hybrid trucks or something, right? You, you can just imagine it, these big American trucks, can't you? Just on a tour across America. To be honest, I would love to see it, but... Sort of given how big the country is and the seasons and the climates, it's probably not feasible that. And I don't think America wants three in a row. I think they want to spread their load across mm. the whole season. Um, that being said, Miami, where it is in the calendar, is frankly ridiculous. Um, I, I don't see the point in going from Azerbaijan to Miami and back to Italy. It, Whoever thought up that, saw the money they saw the money on offer and went yes we'll take it they didn't think about anything else did they let's be honest well you know americans weird one it's a weird one isn't it because there was there's supposed to be this regionalization of the calendar and in fairness 
him doing a, a press conference at the back end of last season with um, with F1 and DHL. It's going to be a slow progression. It wasn't something that they could just go click the fingers at and all of a sudden, yes, we have this lovely regionalised calendar, it's all in place. But you do have to wonder why we had, I mean, we had it with Azerbaijan and Canada. Now we've got Azerbaijan and Miami. It Much there closer. has to be something. And Azerbaijan is unwilling to move as well. I, I gather they were asked to go back a week just to ensure that the gap was shorter. Didn't want to do it. They've got their date as far as they're concerned. That you know, once these people have their dates, that's it. They want to. They're not going to move. That's so, the problem, isn't it? That's this... the problem. Slowly but surely, there will be this regionalisation, and in about 2025, 2026, hopefully, we might get something along the side, along the lines of what you just mentioned. Maybe not all three back to back, Ollie, but something along those lines where the Americas, Europe, and the Middle East, Far East is this great regionalised section of the calendar. It's Even not an ideal world, is it? It's not an ideal world. There's, it takes two to tango. There's two sides to a story. Now, I have no doubt that in regimes gone past, if they turned around and said, we're not moving, then a certain person would have just turned around and said, oh, well, we're not coming back in. But, um, yeah, it, look, it is what it is. I guess they are trying, as Ian said, they're trying. It's a slow progression. You can see Imola's moved from where it was between all of that travelling to the start now, basically, of the European season. So it's it's a start. And I don't think it will ever be perfect either because you will have those crown jewel events in each region, effectively, that will say, no, we want it here, like Vegas, for example, which is right smack bang at the end of the season when all of the Middle Eastern countries want their races. Well, Vegas but, is taking a Formula One completely out of whack with a race on a Saturday night. I mean, you know, we're we're losing all all morals and principles when it comes to the sport at this point. If we're doing this for for Vegas and everyone, well, it doesn't take it doesn't take too much for. Let's just use Miami and Canada, where they are the two outliers. It doesn't take much to put them next to each other. You could even do that. Back to back would still be a challenge, admittedly. But... You'd have to do it as a triple header, though, wouldn't you? What, two races as a triple header? No, because Canada's usually paired with everything else and Canada's date is pretty much the same every year. So yeah, Canada's Canada a standalone this year. So Look, all I'm imagining is of Mustang, GP fans on the side, four of us with a trailer on the back and we're just following that convoy across America from Miami all the way to Vegas. That's the dream, gentlemen. That is the dream. Um, let's talk about then some of the teams that are dreaming of some glory in 2023 and obviously the big move that was announced at the end of November going into uh, sorry start of December going into the new year is Mattia Bonotto the mad scientist look and the perhaps some of the mad scientist decisions at Ferrari no longer with the team principal stepping down at the end of this calendar year Fred Vasseur has joined from Sauber Alfa Romeo and has taken the top job at Ferrari does this end the problems for Ferrari is Fred Vasseur the man to take the Scuderia into the new era of Formula One? Our fans are completely split on this, <laughs> can I just say. We did a poll and 51-49 in, just in favour of Fred being able to haul Ferrari out of its self-induced mire from last season. Um, so that gives you some idea that 
even the fans don't know. So how the hell are we supposed to know? <laughs> we can give our wonderful opinion here, of course, on the Stewards Room podcast. And that's what we're about to do now. It, they had to do something different. The question is, how much of a free reign is Fred going to be allowed? Because for all intents and purposes, what I'm hearing coming out of Italy and Ferrari is that um, the guys at the top, uh, in terms of John Alcan and um, Benedetto Vigna, the CEO, they will be having more of a day-to-day say in matters compared to previous regimes when they pretty much allowed the team principal and his deputies to run Ferrari F1. Is that going to be the case? Is Fred going to be allowed his own ideas and thoughts to a certain extent, but how much is he then going to be guided by Alcan and Vigna? That bit we don't know, because quite clearly Ferrari cannot afford a repeat of last season. And they took a step in getting rid of Mattia. They didn't go far enough as far as I'm concerned because one of the key guys that I think should have gone was their chief strategist, uh, Ruida Iñaki. Because let's face it, if he's the chief strategist uh, and he was the guy that was leading some of those calls from the pit wall that we saw were an absolute disaster last season. He should also have been made to have fallen on his sword, as Mattia was. Um, 28 years service with Ferrari Mattia, and it was an unfortunate way to go um, when a man of that loyalty uh, is being asked to, as I say, fall on his sword. Uh, if he hadn't have resigned, I'm pretty certain they would have sacked him. So it was the honor, honourable thing, that uh, the honourable way out that was taken in this case. But Fred, he's got qualities, without a shadow of a doubt. Is it enough? I'm not too sure. Uh, I'm really not too sure. Um, I hope so, because I really like the guy. Um, that's from a personal perspective, by the way. Uh, I think he's a great character, great personality. But has he got enough about him to lead a team as big as the Scuderia? I'm not too sure at this stage. I, I, I think the whole situation sums up Ferrari across the last five, ten years. I, I think Mattia probably shouldn't have been in the job he was in two years ago because Ferrari were a shambles. Let's not pretend that all the issues came last year. They've been existent for a fair few years. And actually, of all of the seasons he probably could or should have been let go after, last year probably wasn't the one because there was a very, very big improvement in Ferrari. The problem was, as Ian rightly said, is that the strategy was all over. Pace reliability was shocking. And that really hurt them. So he goes, and only he goes. And then, if Ian is right in what's being said about Vigna and Elkan taking on more of a role, then that makes Vasseur's appointment utterly confusing to me. Because why would you not promote from within and use a puppet, essentially, rather than bringing this accomplished former team principal CEO who has been nigh on impeccable in whatever he's done so far, ART Grand Prix, one of, if not the 
best junior teams out there have nurtured multiple F1 World Champions uh, and other drivers who have gone on to be champions in other categories of motorsport. Uh, he set up Spark Technologies, which essentially built all of the Formula E cars for the first few years that that was running. Then he comes into Sauber when they're in a mire, and now look at where they are. They're a completely restructured team, finally looking up, and now have Audi coming on board. You know, that's all down to him as well. So if you're bringing a man like Fred Vasseur in, you've got to give him full reign to do what he wants to do, regardless whether he's right or not, regardless whether what he does works or doesn't work. If you are going outside, if you're a team like Ferrari, you've got to give him full reign. I don't understand that aspect of it. So from everything I've said, I think Vasseur is a very, very good candidate. Again, whether the Ferrari job's too big for him, I think remains to be seen. But I, I don't think it's the worst sign in other team. No, I, th- I think I agree with that. I th- my worry is that Ferrari hasn't learned its lessons. So I, I think you've got to look at the teams that are successful at the moment. You've got to look at the Mercedes model and the Red Bull model. Toto Wolff and Christian Horner, for different reasons, have complete accountability. So if something happens, it's on them. So it's it's they are the ones in charge. They're making the calls. There is no one above them that's saying, you must do this, you must do that. At Ferrari, it's very much, you've got the F1 team, but that's just one branch of the overall company. And Ferrari don't seem to be able to separate the two. Ferrari needs to give Vasseur complete freedom. If he makes a, a judgment call and it goes wrong, he'll be the first one to tell you, I messed that up. There's no question about that. But if he's not got this complete freedom and if he's having to juggle so many different aspects and different sort of requirements, if so there's running the F1 team and then there's sort of the Ferrari political game. If he's got to juggle those, I'm not entirely sure he is capable of doing that. Um, I'm not sure anyone's capable of doing that given the intense pressure. So yes, Vasseur is the right man, Will Did Bonotto Ferrari... have that? Do you think? Do you think oh, Bonotto, Bonotto was, definitely was, had it. Every was held Ferrari... in that in that manner? Every Ferrari team principal has had that coming from above. So the the scrutiny from above, it's not been like Toto Wolff at Mercedes, where sort of even in a difficult season this year, he was he was able to ride it out. There was never any pressure. There was never any Toto Wolff out sort of cries or something like that. Bit different when you got eight world titles behind you. <laughs> oh yeah, that that is the uh, the other thing, isn't it? Well, cre- look at Christian Horner then. If he, fair enough, he's got the world titles behind him as well. But before so the last couple of years, this was all sort of twenty thirteen. So he's managed to ride out this storm in the long term to build for what is now another successful era. I think we can call. To it be now. fair to Horner as well, though. The Red Bull were actually good through that era. It was more Renault being utterly pathetic with their engine compared to Mercedes. Um, because Red Bull were winning races when they shouldn't have been, quite frankly. It's just, it's it's interesting with Ferrari, you talk about, you know, Vasseur not having the leash on it. But Vasseur knows that going into that job as well. Uh, you know, he's he knows if every other Ferrari team principal has had that, he knows what he's going to have to live with and he's willingly gone and taken that. How do you turn Ferrari down, though? 
I'll do Toe Ferrari then. They come calling. He's Even out. Toto Wolf admitted before he joined Mercedes that if Ferrari had have come calling, he was going to Ferrari. So there was no question about it. If Ferrari made him the same offer as Mercedes, it was Ferrari. I guess I'm too much of a pragmatist and look at it as like, yeah, but if you know you're not going to be able to execute your will in the way you'd want to, and if there are these other levels of accountability and it's widely known, why take that role? I think as I think there are some fans that look at it and I, I would say perhaps the, the newer generation of Formula One fan look at this move and think Ferrari have gone out and got the equivalent of like, I don't know, a Southampton manager to go and take on the big job at Manchester United, if you know what I mean. You've, you've got the team that finished sixth, and albeit a very impressive sixth from Alfa Romeo last year, to now go and be the top dog at a team that is expected with the car that they've got and the performance they can get out of that car to be challenging consistently with Mercedes and obviously Red Bull at the front of the grid. And there will be people looking at that. I'd love to know the reasons why on that poll people felt that Vasseur was the right man or the wrong man for it. Because it's easy to say yes and no, I think a lot of people will be looking at it and going, I think he's the wrong man because he's only becoming from Alfa Romeo Sauber and don't necessarily know, that, for instance, the credentials list that, that Ewan's just kind of discussed in the last couple of minutes as well. It's a really interesting one of how in-depth F1 fans will know the background of a sewer, and then other people will be looking at it as a, what, sixth to first on the grid? Are you kidding me? Like Ferrari. I mean, I imagine some people would look and say, McLaren have just lost Andreas Seidel to now go and take over from Vasseur. In the hierarchy of Formula One, McLaren is a grander name than Alfa Romeo. Why haven't Ferrari gone and found Andreas Seidel if that was a position that was perhaps going to be making space? And we know the links, obviously, on gpfans.com has been discussed with Audi and the past with Sauber, but why perhaps could Ferrari not have gone and taken Andreas Seidel? Because of exactly what you just said, Because <laughs> of Audi. It's, it's those links. There we go. It's done. It's, it's a, you know, for Andreas, he saw the long game, was playing the long game. You go to Sauber, three years' time, we've only got to wait for Audi. That's going to But go you don't turn down Ferrari quickly. if you're Andreas Seidel and Ferrari came knocking. I guess for him, it was a case, if he, we're speculating here, was he ever offered the job at Ferrari? Yeah, yeah. We don't believe so. But if, if he had have been offered the job at Ferrari, and then you get offered the chance of going to Sauber knowing that Audi's coming along, it would be a case of better the devil that you know than the devil you don't. I think he it's knows a exactly move. what he's exactly he would know exactly what he's going to be working with through across the three years in building up to Audi coming in. Um, but he was never offered the job as far as we we're aware. <laughs> and from Ferrari's perspective, they're just doing something different. They've always gone internal. Past few appointments, it's always been internal. I guess they thought, let's do something different. Let's take a look at bringing in a guy that will have an outside-in perspective rather than this very insular perspective because they've worked at Ferrari for so many years and they know the team inside out, effectively. Let's, as I say, have somebody that can cast a different spotlight on the team because they've got a different perspective. Hopefully it will work for him. I really do, as I say, because I like the guy. He's a character, he's a personality. And there is a bit of ruthlessness about there when you speak to him as well. And I've interviewed him a few times now. It does have something about him. 
that I think might just be able to draw people in and he can get them pulling in the right direction. He has done a decent job at Alfa Romeo. Let's not forget that. The team finished sixth last season. Had a great start, um, you know, on a limited budget compared to the big guys because they didn't hit the budget cap last season, Alfa Romeo, by a long way. $10 million from what Fred told me late, uh, late in last season. Quite a way short. Just think what other teams could do with $10 million. So let's give him his chance. And hopefully he can do something what other team principals before him have failed to do. Going back to Andreas Seidel, I think McLaren is the biggest loser from this whole shake-up. Because mm. Andreas Seidel was leading the change at McLaren. He, was le- he requested these infrastructure changes pretty much on day one when he got there. And he's been leading this sort of revolution, if you like, of the team that... This was all due to come to fruition in 2025 once they've got all their infrastructure projects completed and then you'd still have Lando Norris there. You'd have a real... Essentially, they were hoping to have a top car and become that top team that sort of people still believe they are, even though it's been years since they were a real top team. Um, so I think it's such a coup for Audi to get Andreas on board because he's essentially starting again. He knows what needs doing and sort of he's hope he's gambling on Audi getting it done quicker than McLaren basically. Um I do expect and this will be a this is a grenade to just chuck in here. I do expect Lando Norris to go and join him. If McLaren cannot deliver with its a decent car with its upgrades, Norris will be out of contract by the time out by the time Audi come onto the circuit, I can see Norris being their marquee signing. We've got our driver. He knows and likes Seidel. And why would you not go to a team that has such factory backing like Audi? Because you've just watched McLaren set up their base in Woking with all the new implementations that Seidel wanted? But at the moment, and this is why I was going to put a small twist on what Sam said, I think Seidel's more of a winner than McLaren or a loser because I think McLaren at the moment are sort of this curve and I think Alfa Romeo are on this sort of curve and it's going to go like that in a few years' time. Because, <laughs> for, because the video listener, uh, for the video well, for the listeners, that really yeah, works you well check out the video on YouTube. It? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it, goes, it, goes, it goes down for McLaren and up for Alfa Romeo and probably upwards quite sharply. Yeah, I, I mean, look, McLaren was supposed to do what Ferrari did last year and join that battle for victories, and they didn't. And actually, they went backwards, which was a major uh-uh, really, wasn't it? So not not good for them. And Alfa Romeo or Salva, as they'll be after this season, I guess, you know, as Ian rightly said, they're not at the budget cap yet. They're continually adding sponsors. They've got this beautiful period where Audi can pretty much do what they want before they enter in 2026. We saw what Mercedes did preparing for engine regulations last time. Audi can do all of that without having to make engines in the two years before it. Uh, there's just something that seems very exciting going on with that team at the moment. They've got a top-quality driver leading them at the moment, Bottas. Uh, regardless of what anyone says, he's a top-quality driver when it comes to F1 drivers. 
You know, he's been there, done it with loads of different teams. He's been at the top of the grid. He's been at the bottom of the grid. So he knows how to get the best from people. And those that Salber have said all season that the boost and the vigour he gives the people back at Hinwell has been a <laughs> massive boost. So there's only good things happening there at the moment. There's, no, there's nothing bad happening. Whereas at McLaren, there's still this sort of uncertainty with everything that's gone on over the last few years. They haven't taken that step. Yes, they're waiting for the infrastructure to come back in, but they're still a bigger team than Sauber, for example. And for a lot of last year, before the budgets sort of equaled themselves out, they were getting beaten by them. So, you know, I, I think Seidel's a winner. I think it's a great move. It's just nice to see the favouritism coming out once again on this podcast of uh, you and banging the Bottas drum, which I assume you've got a new one for Christmas because you've beaten that one to death already. And uh, and Ian dropping Fred rather than Vasseur as, uh, you know, first name terms with the uh, new head of Ferrari. <laughs> and, you know, get those, get those name drops in, man. I, I, I would too if I was interacting with the, uh, the big dogs as much as you. Very quickly, let's just wrap up talking about some of the new drivers that we're going to have on the grid as well. I think everybody's kind of excited to see what Nick DeFries is going to be able to do after being so impressive in that F1 debut that came at Monza last year for Williams. He, unfortunately, is going to be in that Alpha Tauri. We're talking about McLaren. We've got Oscar Piastri. And finally, the hubbub around his arrival at McLaren can at least die down for a moment. Although, if he doesn't start producing the goods quickly, I imagine that's all going to build up again. Was it worth the price that McLaren paid to ensure that he came across from Alpine instead? You've got, obviously, the new all-French driver lineup at Alpine, albeit with uh, experienced drivers in Gasly and Ocon. And we've got Logan Sargent as well coming in at Williams, the new American that finally gets to hit the Formula One circuit. So which of these rookies, let's not talk about the Alpine boys for a second, which of the rookies coming into Formula One this year do you think is going to make the biggest impact and which one has to make the biggest impact in their first year? Uh, has to. It's Oscar, without a shadow of a doubt, simply because of the great Ferrari that took place uh, last summer. And it was brilliant merry-go-round, wasn't it? Let's face it, that was, that's what we love uh, as part of you know, in our journalistic role here. We love those kind of... Uh, You're a drive to survivist. You love place. the drama. Yeah. You're what Hamilton the hates drama. in Formula One, are you? <laughs> you know, all kicked off by Seb retiring and then Fernando quickly dropping the bombshell he was going to replace him there. But uh, just getting back to your question, yeah, it's got to be Oscar because of the, the hubbub that took place around him because of his background as well and what he's done. Um, McLaren have, you know, quite clearly fought tooth and nail to get him. They can see the potential within him. And now a lot is going to be expected of him, given what they've done. And dropping first names. When I spoke to Andreas at the back end of last season and I was Clang. asking him, <laughs> Clang, there we go, about Oscar coming in. Um, this was obviously before he moved to Alfa Romeo with I was interviewing still in his role as McLaren team principal. He, he feels that there's no pressure on Oscar, though, despite what has happened, despite what McLaren did in fighting for his signature. He does not believe that there's going to be this huge, what's the best word to put it, this huge spotlight focused on him. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think certainly initially there will be. People are going to see, OK, you fought for this guy. Why did you fight for this guy? Uh, and if he doesn't produce early on against Lando, then that, that spotlight's only grow, going to grow in intensity. But I think we recognise 
He is a great talent. <clears throat> Getting Sam's voice here for a second. <laughs> Coming across. <laughs> People won't be able to recognise the difference between us very soon. Told you it's uh, a computer virus. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Clearly flicking its way across to me. Uh, but I think he's got a, a lot to live up to. Um, without a shadow of a doubt. For me, going on that, I think the answer to both questions you had is Oscar Piastri. I think if he has a solid opening three races, this, the spring break will then take away all the pressure. So if he can perform well in Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and Australia, people will not forget that he's a new driver, but sort of they'll, the, the spotlight will have eased. If he has a difficult three races, however, that will just then ramp up the pressure. Um, but for me, he's the one I'm most excited to see because there has been all this anticipation, this build-up to he's such a great talent, he'll be taking it to Lando or be able to take it to Lando. I really, really hope he can do it. Um, Nick DeVries would be second on my list and Logan Sargent sort of met him in America He's he's a good guy, but he's just he's he doesn't he he doesn't strike me as F one ready, um, and that might be that assumption might be proven wrong very quickly. I hope it is, um, but it's almost a little bit like a Nikola Latifi again, where sort of yes, he's a good driver, but is he F one quality? Only time will tell on that one. You've got the look of a man that has had your pint taken off you by Logan Sargent in a bar, and there's like a bit of bit of a grudge still there. Like, yeah, I'm just not sure about this guy. Yeah, I'm not really yeah, into yeah. him. Logan, if you're listening and you want to get, get him a good books, I, I like beer. That'll do. <laughs> the the good news for Sargent is that good news in inverted commas is that Williams are a mess at the minute, and. The likelihood is, is that they'll be at the back and there'll be no pressure on it, much like um, Schumacher and Mazepin were in their rookie seasons at Haas. And where are yeah. they racing this year? Zero well, expectation. Yeah. yeah, zero expectation. He's a bit undercooked anyway, so actually he's got a bit of time to come in. What what Sergeant's good at is he's he's proven himself. He's he's decent as an overtaker and he's got good pace. Whether he can consistently do that's another question. But I think he'll be good, but he needs that time to bed in. He hasn't had as much preparation as your Piastri did the races. Um, but he'll have this season because, as we can see, everything... Got, I mean, we're, what, two months away from season? Less than two months away from season. They haven't got anyone in charge. So, um, yeah, Piastri's the one to look out for, isn't he? He's won three junior categories. He's had that year out, which we've seen, you know, people like Van Dorn. Van Dorn was the next big thing. He had that year out, not racing, not going straight into F1. And it cost him dearly. Let's see if Piastri can overcome that. De Vries, I'm looking forward to seeing. I think Alfa Tauri will take a massive step this year. They'll get on top of their weight issues that they had with the car. You, know, you can't do that two seasons in a row because that would be absolutely criminal. So if they can get those weight issues sorted, I think there's a decent car at the base of that. We'll see the race. Um, and Yuki Sonoda as well, to be fair. Um, I think they'll both be up there and challenging for points on a regular basis. I'm waiting the for Ian question, to ask. Ollie, the oh, bigger question, is, how long do we give it before Fernando starts criticising Aston Martin? <laughs> 
I mean, we could save that for another podcast because we could start yeah. taking bets on that one very quickly indeed at the beginning of the season. He's but... already said he wants to uh, he wants to stay, doesn't he, afterwards? So, um, that, that's bold for him. Yeah, but he's, he's, also, he's also said if the team doesn't live up to his expectations, there's going to be trouble as well, basically, this <laughs> offseason. So there's a few mixed messages coming out of Fernando already. He didn't already. need to say that, did he? I'm, I'm waiting for Ian to ask uh, Nick DeFries, how does this car, this Alpha Tauri, compare to the car that you were actually able to get points in last year in the Williams when you haven't had any points in your first 10 races in Formula One this season so far? Because that will be the question that he'll get asked eventually at some point if it doesn't start too well at Alpha Tauri. And that's when things get a little bit, a little bit funny for DeVries, I think. Also, I've got a feeling people are going to forget that he's a rookie because of his experience, because he's been on the kind of cusp and kind of been on the tip of the tongue for a fair bit of time, and he's 27 years old. Mm. It's not like he's a real raw youngster coming in. Uh, You know, Piastri's won in the junior categories as well, but Nick de Vries has been around and around top teams in motorsport for a very long period of time now. I just think that some people might forget how, how raw he is in Formula One, and perhaps that's why there might be a slightly higher expectation than maybe Piastri. Even though Piastri's got the pressure, I think De Vries might have a little bit more expectation. If De Vries hits the ground running and absolutely smashes Sonoda out of the park, which, to be fair, I do kind of expect him to do, Sonoda's finished an F1. Sonoda, he had a... By his own admission, he had a dreadful first season. Last year, he was closer to Pierre, but the two were rarely competing for points so it's sort of I'd, it wasn't quite a false economy but it wasn't an entirely true picture if you sort of looked at the results that weren't in the points Sonoda was comprehensively beaten again so I, 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 Sonoda's got a lot to prove this year if he doesn't at least get close to Devry, then uh, the Red Bull and Alpha Tauri have got to be looking at who is the next driver coming through. You've already got De Vries as the guy that's going to pip Sonoda straight off the bat. This is what I mean about the expectation. You're already saying Sonoda's got to live up to him, whereas De Vries still got to live up to De- Sonoda. I mean, De Vries is a proven champion. Sonoda is not. Outside of Formula One, this is the point. This is everybody's going to be like, oh, well, he's a proven champion. He's been around big motorsport. He knows how to win at this level. It's a completely different ball game in Formula One, surely. It, yeah, it, it is. But when you when you win a championship with Mercedes, it's they, they don't take off. Well, in a championship where anyone can win any weekend because of a completely bonkers qualifying system that shakes it up <laughs> from race to race and... If you do well in one race, you're penalised in the other. Yeah, okay. Hey, I'm fan voting. (laughs) Look, let's leave it there. There's loads to get into when we get build up to the 2023 Formula One season. Of course, we need to talk about, obviously, the new cars, new engines that are going to be coming in. Will Ferrari have sorted out their reliability problems for this year? Only time will tell on that. It was great to hear the W14 earlier in the off-season as well, just revving up its engine I think everybody just got a little shiver down the spine and a bit of uh, excitement for the new season coming in when we saw that on the uh, Mercedes YouTube channel but there's plenty on the gpfans.com YouTube channel gpfans global on Twitter Instagram and TikTok you can find all the musings of these three fine gentlemen on gpfans.com as well we will continue to build up to the new season in Formula One and will anybody be able to topple supermarket Max Verstappen we'll find out over the next 12 months or so gentlemen thanks as always Thank <laughs> you.